0: One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions.
1: Hello and welcome to the Managing Mujer Podcast. This is your host, Kian Sobani. Two parts to today's podcast. Part one, I'm joined by TV's Phil Catromelidis to talk about, uh, I guess, some of Spanish culture, some of the best stadiums in Spain what it's like being a journalist working for Real Madrid TV, some advice for Real Madrid journalists or aspiring journalists um, who are interested in covering the the club or the sport or otherwise. Uh, We talked about some of the best memories in the past six years from the best goal to the most historic nights. And and then stick around for part two, where I delve into your questions about Zidane and the coaches and possible candidates and pros and cons of, of different potential names that that could come in and Zidane's legacy and 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 I guess just stuff like that that everyone's dying to know okay without further ado this is the Managing Madrid podcast part one with Phil Kittramilidis part two with myself let's go Hello and welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast where we are halfway between the season ending and the World Cup starting and awkwardly and unexpectedly having to flip through coaches after a sedan's decision and to help me just talk about Real Madrid and, and break down the season and, and and talk all things about this club is the great Phil Ketrimelidis of Real Madrid TV. Phil, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Um it's it's a pleasure having you on. Um a bit overdue if you ask me, but um you're y I assume it's kind of winding down now for you a little bit, right? I mean it was. <laughs> it, it was until something surprising happened.
2: Yeah, then we had a busy old Friday, so uh, yeah. so yeah, but no, in theory in theory, yeah, winding down now. I've got the uh Coruscant Classic match today at the Bernabeu, which mm. is always a nice way to to round off the season that's when you know the the summer is upon us so um yeah uh winding down with real madrid stuff but obviously the world cup coming and lots of madridistas there and six of them in in the spain squad so obviously a lot of people here got a lot of eyes on them so um yeah um winding down but still plenty to keep us occupied
1: do you you've been doing the corazon classic match must be for years now right
2: uh, yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, sometimes it blurs into the Santiago Bernabéu <laughs> trophy. They're like the two ones that sometimes blur in my mind. But yeah, yeah, I've done, I've done, done quite a few now, yeah.
1: Do you, do you ever like just in, in the back of your mind track the progress of these legends? And like every, every year that passes, do you, do you notice like one, one, <laughs> one, uh, I guess, uh, size added to their waistline? Do they keep themselves in shape? Are you surprised <laughs> about how, I, I, I'm curious to know, like these are legends we grew up with. We, we grew up idolizing.
2: I mean, you grew up with some of them. Uh, Some of the other ones are, uh, you know, pushing the boundaries of what might be defined as a legend. But, yeah, certainly um, there are people there who are less known than than others. I remember last year, actually, I think it was last year, wasn't it, Uh, with um, Ronaldo Nasadio came on. He played 20 minutes and um, he got just an absolutely amazing reception. It was against Roma, I think, wasn't it? And, um, yeah, that was was the biggest cheer of the day, easily, when, when he came on. Played 20 minutes, obviously he's in the shape that he's in obviously he does have some uh, medical problems i think it's a thyroid problem as well that mm-hmm. that that it- might impede him from being in in better physical shape but obviously still still got his touch and uh, yeah there's a lot of players i tell you who's actually year after year just amazing it's he's, mm. um, he's usually one of the oldest ones that plays and he comes on he's still got his touch fitness is pretty good as well so um it's always nice to keep an eye on him well
1: he's in great shape a- every time i see him in person i'm just like my god you have aged perfectly like he just yeah. it clearly takes care of himself yeah 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 um I'm curious to know, um, and I've asked Alex this too, as well, um, because both of you have come to Real Madrid TV and neither of you, if I understand correctly, were Real Madrid fans before you came. And Alex is an Arsenal fan. Has, has just working for the club, being around them, just turned you into a fan?
2: Yeah, of course. I mean, it's hard, very, I'd say it's impossible not to be just seduced by the grandeur of Real Madrid. I mean, the first time that I went to the Bernabeu as a non-journalist, I went there uh, to watch a game and uh, I was like, wow, this place is amazing. And then the first time I was there as a journalist, it was just incredible. And then going there week after week. I mean, I'm going there now for the Coruscant Classic match. I've been there hundreds of times. I've been very fortunate because I know many of your listeners would deeply love to go to Bird just once. I've been incredibly lucky to be there every time. But don't worry because every time I go, I'm fully aware of how lucky I am. And it does, every time you go, it does, if not take your breath away, but it makes a uh, an impact on you. It makes an impression uh, on you every time you go there. It's a special place. And the stadium, the... The stature of the club is just so impressive that when you're obviously involved in it, it it's almost impossible not to get caught up in it. And yeah, of course, you know, um, it is also (laughs) in my interest that Real Madrid win because my working week is uh, infinitely um, more straightforward if they do win. But apart from that, I I want Real Madrid to win every game now. So, um, yeah, as you said, I didn't grow up. Uh, as a Real Madrid fan, grew up in North London, supporting my local team, but then moved here and you obviously just get caught up in it and it's impossible not to, I think. Well,
1: yeah, well, I mean, it's it's almost, I, I knew the answer to it before I asked you, because when I listen to your commentary, there's no way you, you can deny the passion <laughs> and the excitement. It's, <laughs> yeah, so, like it's so sincere and it's like literally from your heart, like those, um, this morning, actually, I, I re- rewatched your commentary on the, on the bail goal, the bail goal, um, and uh, I think I think you kind of encapsulate how we all felt at that moment. It was,
2: it was just. Yeah, I mean that's what you try and do as well because you know that the people who are watching, obviously, people aren't watching live in the moment because it doesn't go out live on Real Madrid TV, obviously, because, mm-hmm. of, because of rights issues. But whenever people watch back, you try and just capture the moment of how everybody felt, and when it's an absolutely ridiculous goal. Most people are just, you know, screaming or doing, oh my, oh yeah, I just can't believe it. So, you do try and capture it. I, I commentate elsewhere and do other stuff and I commentate elsewhere and you might have a slightly different style to, to commentary. But when you're on Real Madrid TV and someone scores a goal like that, you just have to go mad and it's, it's impossible not to, I don't think. Even if I wasn't uh, supporting Real Madrid in the game, uh, you'd, you know, you'd, you'd lose your mind with that kind sure. of goal. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. so the,
1: the Real Madrid TV broadcast is not broadcast live. Um
2: and you Well, I mean yeah, the the games aren't. The first team games aren't because mm-hmm. of because of rights issues, obviously. Yeah. But um but Coruscant Classic matches life today, which is Coruscant nice. Classic that's Classic the one that does. Life.
1: the I know <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually do look forward to it. you know just like uh, I, I know you said some of the, the people aren't really pushing legends and, and that's true. But I mean even I don't I actually haven't looked at the lineups today, but you know, there's usually like a little McManaman sprinkled in. And uh he was one of my favorite players growing up. So just to to kind of just look at it and for nostalgic reasons is is kind of fun yeah.
2: um yeah absolutely so, i think this year Arbaloa and jabby alonso are getting involved for the oh, first time there you go that's 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 a reason enough to to have and of to course
1: jabby it. alonso is now part of the club officially right i don't know if it's official yet but he's he's one of the youth coaches
2: i don't know if it's official yet okay. but yeah i've heard something similar
1: okay <laughs> um you you mentioned just that the, the daily trips to the Bernabeu and being there hundreds of times now, um, a lot of the people who listen to the show are aspiring journalists um, okay. and we regularly get questions from people just saying advice. Do you have advice for for us, you know, trying to make it in, as you know, a very competitive field? Um, yeah. And um, well, tell, a lot tell has tell to you go one your thing. way. So, yeah, please.
2: Yeah, I'll tell you one thing. I mean, um, now... Uh, it's it's changed even from when i i sort of started being a journalist because i um, trained and got my first job as a radio uh, reporter in london uh, 11 years ago so even in those in the 11 years it's changed massively now anybody can be a broadcaster anybody can be a journalist anybody can you know get their stuff out and get it heard and get it read and get it listened to my advice would be to actually train and I know that seems like quite an obvious thing but do a course do a broad if you want to be a broadcaster do a broadcast journalism course to teach you the fundamentals and the basics of how to be a broadcaster because I did one and it helped me a lot I didn't that was as a a post postgraduate uh, studies I did a, a undergraduate studies in Spanish Hispanic studies you know so I lived in Spain for a year studied Spanish history, politics, literature, et cetera, et cetera. And at the end of that, I was thinking, all right, what do I do now? And then I was thinking, ah, I do a radio show on the university radio station. It would be quite fun to maybe make a career out of this. And I found a broadcast journalism course, and I did it. And then from there, I knew exactly that I wanted to be a broadcast journalist. And that course, I can't speak highly of it enough, it taught me everything I needed to be to be a broadcast journalist, which is different, very different, to being a print journalist, to being a written journalist. So yeah it might sound a basic thing to to do but do a course like get experts to teach you what you need to know because now like i said anybody can write and that's cool anybody can put a video on youtube again that's cool that's fine but if you want to be a serious professional journalist Uh, My advice would be to to study it. And then once you're studying it, obviously, you know, there are other things that you need to do. You have to be willing to do a lot of things. I spent two or two and a half years getting up at 10 to four every morning to go and do the breakfast show on radio. You sacrifice a lot of things, uh, work every single weekend. Obviously, you know, you have to be prepared to do a lot of things, but and have a bit of luck as well. Have contacts, meet people, know people, work your way up it is incredibly difficult it's incredibly um competitive and also sadly now uh, there's less and less creativity uh, allowed in sort of mainstream journalism certainly online it's all about clicks headlines that kind of stuff so I mean, if you're prepared, you know, be prepared to not necessarily do exactly what you want to do and to compromise as well. But yeah, I don't know, man. Lots of people ask me as well. And it's, and it's, and it's a difficult one to, 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 to give a clear-cut answer to because it is so difficult. But yeah, I'd say train, learn the basics, and then try and make as many contacts as you can and, and work your way up. Well,
1: I think that the lack of creativity thing is the reason yeah. why we have so many blogs now. Uh, where yeah. people are like, yeah. okay, well, if my editor's not gonna let me do this, then I'm going to write this and do it on my own. And then I think that's that's kind of why we see blogging see see blogging go on the rise a little bit, um, yes. just because people want to be able to just kind of have a little bit of control of what they they put out. But it's difficult. It's really difficult. You also have to be very prepared to, if you if you're on this pursuit of being a journalist, to explain to your wife. Uh, I can't this Friday night or Saturday night because I'm watching a football match. And then you have to explain why watching a football match is work. Um, so be prepared yep, for, for that stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. You've been living in Madrid for... How? how? Six years. Six years, okay. Okay. Um, you've, it, it seems like you're very, you're very integrated in the culture. Like Listening to Rincon <laughs> Cultural is, is, uh, is quite, quite a trip for me.
2: Yeah, man. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm the. Uh, I was born in London to Greek immigrant parents, and you know, I'm an immigrant here now. And you try and assimilate yourself in the culture where you find yourself. So I don't, you know, go to the Irish pub and sit and watch the Premier League with other English people and not get involved in local life here. I am in Spain because I like Spain. I like living here. I like the life here. I like the culture here. So, yeah, you, you, you get integrated. I think that's the best way to, to fully settle down. I have, you know, I'm, I'm here now. I have no plans of, of going back. And I think the more you assimilate, the more you put down roots and the more you find yourself, you know, in a in a in a place where you're going to you're going to stay and yeah i mean spain spain's great i don't know how many of your listeners have had a chance to 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 come and experience it but it is a it's it's a it's a, it's, a, it's a good place to live. You know, life is life is good here if you have a job. Obviously, the job market is um is is, is a bit challenging here, and it has been for many years. But if you if you can live, uh, while, you know, if you can get a job here and and live here, it's it's a it's a cool place to live. And Spain is a intriguing and unique uh, country with um, a very uh, textured. Cultural background shall we say, so there's there's a lot to learn and a lot to and a lot to investigate So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, there's there's plenty to keep you um, amused and interested and occupied
1: I'm gonna throw some some questions at you um, regarding some football actual football um, Okay, and I don't I don't know if these will surprise you or not But I just let's, let's just keep it suspenseful and I'm just gonna shoot them at you and you can you can take a hit at them six years um, what was the most special night covering this team?
2: Blah, Kian, man, uh, blah, I don't know. <laughs> like loads, like so many. Uh, Gun to your head. De- you have to answer. Desima, Desima, maybe okay. Desima. I yeah. was, I was there. I was in the stadium um, with like. Four or five of our guys from Real Madrid TV in the press area when, when the goal went in. I mean, I'm not joking. We were just jumping all. Over. It was like a massive bundle. Uh, and there was like an Irish journalist sort of sitting next to us, like looking at us, like what the hell are you guys doing? Because we were just jumping everywhere. It was crazy. Yeah. that was amazing. Um, celebrations was also pretty special at the Bernabeu the night after. I mean, the, like, yeah. I mean, the Champions Leagues have all been pretty special. E- each each final. I've you know covered four now, so each one's been pretty special but obviously that was that was the one because it'd been so long and ever since uh you know i I'd, I'd only been here a couple of years but you know it was the word that had been mentioned so much decima 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 and um finally got it so yeah that was pretty special i mean and then there are just uh there are just moments and games that don't actually have too much transcendental importance in the history of real madrid but are still pretty memorable um I remember actually, actually, this was the first Champions League game I call, uh, commentated on Real Madrid TV uh, against Manchester City at the Bernabeu Group Stages 2012, when Real Madrid were trailing two-one yeah, and they scored yeah, yeah. two late goals, and and that was that was that was pretty special as well, just because yeah. it was the first like comeback of Real Madrid that I'd experienced, mm. and just being in the Bernabeu on a night like that. Um, gave me the first taste of what it was. Actually, the the Borussia Dortmund semi final when we were one goal away from yeah. from qualifying that was pretty special as well. Even though you know, yeah. went out, but that, but that was also a taste of the the Bernabeu really pushing on a on a on a big European night as well. Um, the, in the league, uh, Ronaldo scoring the winner in the Camp now a couple of seasons ago when came from behind, and remember Bale had the goal disallowed, yes, and then... for being too strong, late. essentially. Yeah, 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 for nothing, <laughs> and, and yeah, I mean, that was a pretty wild commentary from myself as well. I remember that uh, commentary so.
1: as well, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, 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 so, yeah, I mean, there have been, been loads, man, there have been loads, and, and like I said, some have been, uh, not necessarily uh, the most important ones, but there are lots that, 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 that definitely stay with
1: you. The Dortmund one you mentioned was really, like, really pushing the boundaries of toying with your heart because yeah, yeah. it was, diff- I think we had almost all accepted that this wasn't going to happen, but then they give us so much hope at the end that it, it just takes you into this high and then it just breaks your soul when it, when it doesn't happen, you know, when the remontada doesn't get complete. And then the, the city one you mentioned was also at a time where the team was struggling a bit. So like meant that's a lot thing. to win. That's yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's why it meant so much. And then the Mourinho knee slide as well and yeah. all that. Yeah. That's- it was, um, yeah, 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 exactly. It was it was the context rather than all, just the result as well.
1: But also all of that failure is what made La Decima so special, right? Like if we didn't yeah. have those disappointments before, it wouldn't have... Decima wouldn't have meant, wouldn't have meant as much, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> maybe straightforward, maybe not. Best goal in, in the six years you've seen? Uh,
2: I mean... <laughs> bale slash ronaldo bicycle kick probably Mm -hmm. uh just for you know take your pick really uh i think the ronaldo one was might have been better executed or more aesthetically pleasing in the execution but the bale one the setting and context of it was so enormous so either one of those Best goal. I mean, there have been there've been loads. Uh a lot of them scored by Ronaldo, uh, to be honest. Um let me think. Uh yeah, I mean I remember a couple of absolute like rockets from Ronaldo at home against Osasuna. Uh I think it was a four one win, maybe twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen. That was pretty those were pretty special. Um some Ah, um, oh, the Benzema-Chilena uh, scissor kick against Ajax in the Champions League. Oh, yeah, good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, really, I, I like nacho that.
1: Maybe some Nacho against Leonesa. Oh, wow, question? yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. That was, that was so crazy. I remember and that being like, Nacho, it's Nacho. I couldn't believe it. Uh, James scored some nice ones as yeah. well. Um yeah so yeah so many uh, isco uh, against sporting a couple of seasons ago yeah i mean there've been there've been lots of good goals really
1: do you travel with the team uh or, or are you mostly in studio
2: i mean i did i have done i spent about 4 years traveling with the team okay. uh traveling all over with the champions league going to occasional uh ah oh, Bale Bale um, Copa del Rey final as well oh yeah um, you
1: yeah. can't forget as that one well.
2: yeah, oh, yeah. Like my, uh, that's when we went really crazy as well in yeah. the press area or the Real Madrid TV because we, sit- <laughs> we were sitting next to the guys from Barca TV as well and it wasn't like done on purpose but obviously we were just celebrating crazy yeah yeah, and they they, they 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 weren't that happy, but yeah yeah that's got to be up there as well. That was me. I was standing on the seat, jumping on the seat, going, "That's my boy! That's the Prince of Wales! That's the Prince of Wales!" Yeah. Uh, and 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 the Barca TV guys were looking at me as if I was crazy. But yeah. Um, so do I travel with a team? Yeah, I mean, I, I used to now because with family commitments, I've like not travelled as much now. So, uh, but yeah, I used to travel quite a lot. So. Been been yeah been fortunate enough to be all, all over Europe, uh, quite a bit of Spain as well, and uh, did the tour in 2014 to the US. So yeah, been fortunate enough to, to to travel on many occasions with the team.
1: One thing I've tried to, or I've you know maybe gotten a little bit better at navigating in the press area because the very first time I attended, I was obviously very raw. Just kind of taking it all in learning, um, not wanting to to do anything that I'm not supposed to do. Like if there's some yeah. kind of moral code I'm not following that I'm not aware of, and and also these things like you just kind of are on your own and you're asking questions like where do I go, what do I do, and I'm yeah. I was trying to be very subdued so I wouldn't you know, inside when Real Madrid score you're celebrating, but you don't you don't know if it's appropriate to celebrate. Um, but then over time you're like, okay, I think it's okay. Cause other people are like, you know, like showing some emotion. And then it was that game against PSG I was attending. Oh yeah. Uh, and the amount of emotion from the journalists were, was just like, okay, oh, I yeah. think it's okay. I think it's okay to just yeah. let loose a little bit. Um, and then oh, I like- wasn't at the Juve game, but I was, I was just following on Twitter that, uh, there was a lot of like heated, especially because of the penalty and people agreeing and not agreeing and, and.
2: Uh, I remember when I was in uh, Rome for the Roma last 16 Champions League games, Zidane's first European game in charge, you might remember that one, Mm -hmm. and I was sitting next to a Roma journalist who, well, he was a journalist, he was in the press area, he just spent the whole game just abusing Ronaldo, and I was like, this is the the press area, but they didn't care, you know, sitting there smoking, blah, 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 whatever. It was just like yeah yeah yeah. I was like okay, this is this is this is maybe a little bit too far. Yeah, but yeah, I mean so that would never happened. <laughs> that would never happen in the UK. 100. Uh, percent I've never never seen that. Uh, and but in Spain it is a little bit more acceptable because in Spain obviously you have journalists whose job it is to follow one team. Like so, you have a Real Madrid journalist for uh, Cadena Ser, for Cope, for Onda Cero, for uh, Deportes Cuatro. So all like the radio and TV they have one Real Madrid guy, and obviously that Real Madrid guy tends to be a Real Madrid fan. So they um, they 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 are they, not they're not shy in coming forward about celebrating.
1: Last question, because I know I have to let you go. And this goes back to the travel question. And this kind of a question just for me, um, but other people might find the answer useful. Um, I need to make it a priority to go to other stadiums in Spain. And I'm wondering which one you would suggest. Um, Just as a general football fan. um,
2: Okay, so not as a Real Madrid fan. Not as a Real Madrid
1: Madrid fan. As a Spanish football fan, put it that way. As a Spanish football fan. Yeah.
2: Oh, man. I mean, to be honest, you could basically make a case for so many stadiums. Like You can't pick just, just, just one to go. Um, but, you know, there are, there are loads of great footballing experiences in, in Spain. Uh, just uh, a couple off the top of my head. Obviously, I think the new San Mames in Bilbao is arguably one of the most impressive stadiums in Spain because oh. it is modern. It looks great. It's retained atmosphere and it's, it's, it's a great place to, to, to watch football. It's in the city as well. It's not in the middle of nowhere and it's very, very atmospheric. Um, so that's great to, uh, great to visit. I like El Riator Depot's Ground just simply because it is a hundred metres from the beach, like the sea is uh-huh. there, just literally there. There's a beach called Riator and the stadium is right there. Um, and it's also a, a lovely city, but obviously now in Segunda now. Um, camp now for the sheer size and scale and you're like, okay, wow, this is, this is big. And if you're there watching a Real Madrid, then it's the Clásico. So obviously you've got to go and experience that. And it's interesting to experience it uh, as an away fan as well. So just just to compare it to how it is uh, in the Bernabeu Mestai is great they've given it a lick of paint it looks good good atmosphere whenever Real Madrid go there as well because they don't like Real Madrid so they are up for it as we all know Uh, so uh, that's always a a great place in Madrid go and watch Rayo go and watch Rayo Vallecano because it's such a unique little stadium crumbling uh, only got three sides in the middle of this working class barrio it really is very representative of 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 its of the area so that's always great and then you've got the two stadiums in in Seville which are just absolutely 100% worth a visit uh, the Sanchez Piquan of Sevilla and uh, the Benito Villamarín of uh, of Betis, which looks absolutely stunning now, holds sixty thousand, often very very full and uh, very very impressive. So yeah, I mean, look, there are so I, I, I genuinely genuinely could go on, but I'm not going to. But yeah, there are there are lots of lots of places to go and watch football in Spain and enjoy not just the football but the city, uh, what surrounds it as well, because football and enjoying football goes hand in hand with. Food and drink and enjoying life. So it's not just about the football, but it's also about the whole experience as well. So yeah. um, try and try and do that if you want
1: I mean, look, there's something in the air in Spain that you just—it's impossible not to be attracted to it. I think um, from all angles, it's very
2: seductive. It's very—it's very seductive. Very seductive.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, one, I—I I think I think all of those were on my list. I think at the top of them was Benito Villamarin. <clears throat> um, <laughs> But one that looks spectacular on TV that I'd be really curious to attend is Butarque because of that lo- those low stands I and mean, there's <laughs> always a magical sunset. Like it's
2: yeah, I mean you do you can you can see like the uh, the mountains as well because um, and yeah the sunsets are pretty spectacular. I mean, look, in terms of all the stadiums in Spain, I would say it's relatively low down on the list in terms of uh, sure. magical uh, footballing experiences. But if you're in Madrid, it's very easy to get to. It's a very friendly club. Um, tickets are usually relatively available and cheap and um yeah i've always enjoyed my trips my trips there Uh, and like you said it does have some pretty spectacular um sunsets the only thing is that only one of the stands is covered so if it is raining then you're screwed but apart from that uh it's it's yeah worth checking out
1: uh easy to get to good to know unlike uh estadio alfredo di stefano which is to me, like it's it's a nightmare. I, deem- it's- I mean, yeah, I've only ever driven there, so yeah. it's. it's- yeah. But, try yeah. <laughs> try taking an Uber there and trying to explain to them how to how to how to take the wrong, the right turn and yeah. not end up at the at the Valet Bebas gym. It's impossible. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um Phil Kitchamilides, I really appreciate your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. I am I'm very curious to just um have a coffee with you and just get the very unchained and unfiltered Phil one day. But until <laughs> then, this this will have to do. But it was it was a lot of fun. Thank you, Phil.
2: No problem. Pleasure Kian, Anytime. any
1: time. Hello and welcome to part two of the Managing Major Podcast. Again, this is your host, Kian Sobani. Going to just hit some questions out of the park that came in through Patreon from our guaranteed patrons, which obviously I'm going to take and I don't want to ignore. Um, some, of the, some of it was hard for Phil to answer for obvious reasons, but um, a lot of these Zidane-related questions have to be taken. They have to be addressed. And I think it's just crazy. It's still surreal to me what a few days later almost a week later um that this has happened and, and you're just trying to just put it put it together like why and how and 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 why so suddenly and you know but i i wrote a big article and you know about this whole zidane thing a few days ago uh actually day of that he announced it and uh, i really put my heart and soul into it i think you should go read it if you haven't already um But I totally get it. And I think if you're a Zidane stan, which there are a ton of us around the world, this is is the ideal situation. Um, And I'll explain why as this podcast progresses, why this is the ideal situation, because it will just unfold on its own, answering the questions. But um, no coach leaves on good terms like this at Real Madrid. It just doesn't happen. And so the fact that he was able to leave on such a high on his own terms is is in a lot of ways just the perfect legacy and a way to preserve it for himself. Um, Especially considering the fact that we were all just worried about his reputation going into this. Like, Would he come in and in a time of turmoil and he has no opportunity to actually get to know the team that well? I mean, he did know the team a little bit. He was the assistant to Carlo. He's been with the youth team, obviously. Um, But to come in that cold uh, and just asked to put things together when there's a 10 point point deficit in La Liga the team is not playing well and to do what he did, cut the 10 point lead to 1 I think it was by the end of the last match day Um, 3 of those points coming at the Camp Nou in a brilliant tactically narrow scheme on a counter attack where everyone doubted his tactical ability Um, and to do what he did was remarkable and we were all worried when he first came in over Rafa that he would come in Unfairly, and then be unfairly judged and graded, and then unfairly sacked. Even though it wouldn't have been none of it would have been his fault. Um, thankfully, that didn't happen, and quite the opposite, like the anti of that basically happened. And two and a half years later, his legacy is unparalleled. Someone asked me on Twitter. I did a quick AMA the other day. Uh, someone asked me where does he rank among all time Real Madrid coaches, and it, just quite frankly, he's number one. No one has his legacy. No one. Um what he did was remarkable. Um and for that reason it's the ideal situation because I think there's a really good chance. I, I completely believe him when he says he can't help the team win anymore. Um we saw the drop off in La Liga and it was it was a Labor Champions League run, run albeit um impressive and, and we'll never forget it. But you could really see that there would be a drop-off at some point, and it wouldn't have been inconceivable that next year is the drop-off. And, I mean, look, this is a guy that Modric famously said um, everything he says turns into gold dust. Um, He's the supreme motivator. He is the exemplary motivator of a football coach. And he just couldn't motivate the team in La Liga. And I think he genuinely felt that the team needed someone better. Um, Maybe not necessarily better, but different. Um just to to shaken things up a bit. And the most underrated trait possibly is knowing when to leave. Uh and knowing when you've you push yourself to the peak. Because we've seen far too often too many great coaches or even players stick around for an ungodly amount of time and their legacy just drops year by year. So I think Zidane was very I mean, he was and he was quite humble about it. I mean, look what he left, what, 20 million on the table, just not continuing his contract. I mean, it's a lot of money to walk away from. It points to one, genuini- genuinity, I think that's the word, uh, in his beliefs, but also, um, I guess, not motivated by money, but also just the fact that the mental toll it takes to manage Ryanjit like he did he he clarified that he wasn't tired or whatever but i think you can separate that from being tired and being tired of coaching real madrid i think that it's like two separate things because you know he mentioned in february like famously that um the, the toll it takes on a real madrid manager and and i think some of this could kind of was a premonition with ramos saying back earlier in the year that you know zidane if he wins the champions league he, we don't know if he's going to be around next year and um so i think even though it was a surprise to a lot of us um, I'd say 99.9% of us around the world it was a huge surprise. It may have been kind of in the back of you know, someone like Ramos' mind. I'm, I'm sure like even in uh, in in other like, you know, close-knit circles it wasn't a complete surprise. Flo was surprised, he said. Um, and Ramos was the, the, I think the one guy that Zidane called or texted and, and informed him of the decision to let the the rest of the team know. But... Yeah, what what a what a whirlwind, what a roller coaster of emotions from winning um, the Champions League to the bail comment immediately after the game to to the high of of just celebrating at Cirelles to Zidane's shocking decision, um, which uh, I mean, to be honest, the fact that he did it so early in the season is quite commendable. If you ask me, because he leaves us with as much time as possible to. To find a new coach, which is very complicated still because um, it's slim pickings. Let's be real. It's slim pickings. Um, So let's get into some patron questions. Sheikh Atiri says, when is the last time before Zizou that a coach stepped down on good terms? Interim coaches like Ramos and Carlo notwithstanding. I went as far... uh, Sorry, Carlo. I think you meant Lopez, Carlo. I went as far back as 1990 and I couldn't find anybody. The closest is Mourinho, but not really. Um this is exactly what I'm trying to, trying to verbalize here, is that this is why Zidane leaving the way he did is ideal, because it just doesn't happen. Pe- coaches don't leave on their own uh, uh, merit, and if they do, it's not on good terms, like, like Camacho, for example. Twice he came in and just quit within two weeks because he just couldn't handle it, and no one. that's just not commendable, to be honest, and, and it's not on good terms, and it's, it's a sour taste in everybody's mouth. What Zidane did is completely unprecedented. Like, we went from thinking that Zidane would probably come in up under Rafa and then get sacked by the end of the year to Florentino just visibly gutted. And you look at his body language and sadness in the press conference and and he was just devastated that Zidane decided to leave. So, the fact that Flo is the one who's who has to, like, you know, just just watch a coach on his own leave is, is huge. I mean, you can argue Mourinho, depending on your inter- interpretation of Mourinho leaving, that it was mutual or not. Um, you could argue Mourinho maybe, but it, it, it's, again, it's not, mutually is is a generous word. I think, I think it just was a, a situation that either party was not going to resolve. So, um, either way, it wasn't on good terms, quote unquote. Um, nineteen ninety I mean, this is the standard we're talking about. Capello twice sacked for winning the league and not playing attractive football, not being successful in Europe. Although I thought during those dark years after Del Bosque was sacked until Mourinho came and we eventually made the semifinals. uh, I thought Capello was one of the bright years because the team played good football. It wasn't like your traditional attacking direct Real Madrid approach, but it was so it was one of the rare years that Real Madrid were actually good defensively um, and they had this never say die attitude they had a lot of remontadas um, late in like the 85th minute and beyond we had the Minuto Magico under him the the rude goal in Zaragoza and the simultaneous Tamura goal at the Camp Nou and uh, even though we got knocked out of Europe I thought we actually played good you know like that was probably Beckham's best year in Madrid uh, rude was scoring uh we shouldn't have lost to Bayern that year, if I'm being honest. Uh, a Van Bommel strike in the Bernabeu really changed the complexion of that tie after we were leading 3-1. But um, So he was sacked twice um, for winning the league and not winning the Champions League and not playing quote-unquote attractive football. Jupp Heinkes came in 98, won the Champions League and uh, was sacked for, I think he was 10 points behind Barca in La Liga after winning the Champions League. So that's the kind of standard standard we're talking about here. So good on Zizou. I don't blame him at all. Everything he said to me in the press conference was was making sense to me. Shea's second question says, since I have followed Real Madrid, we have had four successful managers, Del Bosque, Capello, Ancelotti, and Zizou. Two of them were Madrid players and were familiar with our system, and the other two had extensive experience in managing star-filled locker rooms even though Capello's locker room was probably the least galactic since the Galacticos project. Do you think the next Madrid coach should be primarily a tactician, a brilliant tactician, or somebody who can manage the locker room and preferably with similarity familiarity with the club like Zizou? Great question. I'm leaning towards the second option, but... You also you can't you can't just be like this like Tony Robbins motivator and, and be tactically blind. And uh, I think one of the most underrated things that uh, that Zidane or Ancelotti or Del Bosque all these supreme motivators had was that they also weren't complete idiots tactically. And quite the contrary, they were quite intelligent. Um, they knew how to get the best out of their resources. They knew the formations to play. Um, and I mean, generally speaking, but the The trophies speak for themselves. Um, I think the one underrated trait that no one talks about is just talent level within the squad and how much it has to do with how much a coach succeeds and doesn't. And the common trait between Ancelotti, Zidane, and Del Bosque was that they all had game-changing superstars who could turn a game on its head even when things aren't going your way. Um, Del Bosque had Zidane, Figo, Raul, OG, Ronaldo, like, just unbelievable like that those are four legends like not even just great players or superstars like just people who will never die um just the the most elite of the most elite footballers who can who can do a lot um credit to Del Bosque he also won in 2000 before Zidane and Figo arrived. but again that was Raul's brilliant year and the team wasn't that great domestically um, but Raul Rodondo, Roberto Carlos these those three to me and Sprinklin McManaman um and Morientes but <clears throat> those three especially just carry the team to a whole other level like from the Champions League round of 16 or quarterfinals until the final they just went into an amazing year um, and Del Bosque, you know had those players and Ancelotti clearly had those players like he had good core of the, the current team um, Zidane obviously has this team um, I think Capello again did, just didn't go far in Europe because he didn't have that kind of game-changing challenge so I think the most underrated trait in all this is that you need to have a Cristiano Ronaldo you need to have a Gareth Bale, a Modric uh, a Zidane, a Figo, a Raul these players are super important Like I think regardless of who comes in the coach or not if you don't have that talent it's going to be hard to win the Champions League especially now with the money pumping into the Premier League um and and other big teams it's going to be difficult to compete so um someone asked on twitter if we're gonna enter a dark era i think it would be crazy to think that with the amount of talent the team has and i also don't think there will be wholesale changes the way some people think there will be but um i do think relative to what we had it's possible that we have a dark era depending on what your interpretation of dark is it'll never be as dark as um that period after Del Bosque left, and we had like eight million coaches from Lux- Luxemburgo to Juan de Ramos and um, and God knows who else. But um, relative to what we've achieved in the last three or five years, it's not probably not going to be that. So just I guess keep your expectations in check. But I think Shay, I think you need you need a coach who can motivate. Like for example, I'm I'm not sure if you know someone like Sari. Would mesh well with this team because he's a bit of a just uh, lack of a better lack of a better word. He's a bit of an anti-Zidane, like in terms of just personality. I, I don't know how the players would mesh with him. Um, he's a good tactician, don't get me wrong, but I don't know if his personality suits Madrid. I don't know if the players would would get along with him. He has kind of a history of just being of a hot hot-headed guy who um just, just doesn't see eye to eye with everyone. Um, so I think that that part of Zidane was hugely important um, so if you can find a good balance like to me Klopp is a great like a perfect fit Pocatino also like these guys have the personality for it I think um, Conte I'm, I'm really unsure of at this point but you need a balance Shay, you also need supreme talent so I hope that the club never forgets and I don't think they will that Zidane's gone I'm sure Florentino is, is, has an itch to scratch in the transfer market we'll see um Sajid Rayaz says a few questions Um what are the chances of us convincing Zidane to reverse his decision I think this is our best bet yet considering that the options we have are very scarce at the moment he was after all convinced to come out of retirement and play the 2006 World Cup of France after initially retiring after year 2004 Uh and Sir Alex Ferguson also retired in 2002 and then reversed his decision maybe Zizou who resigned because he wanted the best for the club. We'll see that the only thing that's best for the club right now is reversing his decision and staying on his Real Madrid manager because the dilemma has messed up all of our transfer plans. Okay. Um, I don't think it's messed up our transfer plans per se. I, I don't know how much that changed. I, I'm sure it changes in the sense that Zidane had... Zidane was the co- one coach who really... You know, I think we could argue Mourinho too could do this, but was like, look, I, I'm just happy with the squad we have and I want continuity. And if anything, just sell players that, that, that are not going to play or are not going to be happy here. Um, this is why I say Florentino might have an itch to scratch with, with no one telling him that, although depending on who comes in and what the budget is, who knows. But um, like I said in my, my article a few days ago, this is definitely not the last we see of Zidane and uh, the famous quote, until soon. Real Madrid and Zidane are synonymous. They're not going to... There's not going to be a point where Zidane will be separated from the club. Um, and I don't think it's the last we see of him, but also, I don't think it's going to be like this summer. Like you, you'd be crazy to think that Zidane is going to change his mind this summer. It's not just not going to happen. This is this is done. It's done. We're not looking back on this now and saying Zidane, please stay. It's just not going to happen. Um, but it it it's certainly plausible that he will come back years from now. Um, Sajid's second question. Guti has been touted as someone who can take over, but my primary reservation is that he was a hothead as a player the way Ramos is now, and this could prove to be a recipe for disaster in managing the big egos on our team. Does anyone know what his man-management style is for uh, uh Does he rule with an iron fist, or is he more chilled out? Because the former is not a recipe that works for Real Madrid. Well, not all players are going to be the same as a coach but also I don't think it's a necessarily a bad trait that he is I don't think his hot-headedness is a danger dangerous hot-headedness to be honest Um, it's one of passion um, and it's one that has that's turned him into one of the most brilliant possibly most underrated players in the club's history Um, and I I'm not sure I see it as a necessarily negative trait and his hot-headedness was more of passion and defending the team than anything else. I will say what worries me about Kuti is his comments about Bale uh earlier this season when he went on like late night Spanish TV and, and criticized Bale when when I don't know, like you, did, you just, did he forget he was under contract working for the club? Like you just can't say those things. Um that those comments really surprised me. So I wonder what even happens to Bale if Guti arrives. But um, the Guti, the, the the idea to bring Guti is warming on me. I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, he has that "quote unquote" DNA, um, which which some people say is not a real thing, but I think it's real. Um, there is a there is a familiarity with the club that you can have that that helps. Okay. One of the main reasons why I like the idea of Guti is because Zidane, one of the best traits that he had was that he never looked at this as a temporary job in the sense that he was very concerned and invested emotionally, but also um, for the good of the club, the development of the youth team. So he always thought long-term. And one of the worries I had if Zidane ever left was... Does someone come in and continue that vision and philosophy of growing and and making the youth team better and focusing on their development? Because someone like Mourinho came, for example, and, and, and if someone else comes, like you just sometimes have a feel. That it's just transitory. It's not long-term. How much is that coach going to invest in the youth? Because he knows he's here for a limited amount of time and he needs to win trophies. What Zidane did great was he... Revolved so much of his transfer activity Just around loan spells Bringing players back from loan Or signing young players Or sending them out on loan Like our entire transfer activity last summer was what? Odegaard goes Just making sure he stays out here in Wien uh, Fede going to Depor um, Febas going to Zaragoza And then you had uh, Marcos coming back Jesus coming back Signing Ceballos. Um Does a new coach change that? And it's not necessarily a bad or a good thing, but I think it's a good thing that there is so much emphasis long term. Guti brings that. Guti knows the players um, in the ranks very well. He knows all of Solari's guys. He knows all of the younger guys, even. Um, and his style of football is very direct. Um, he has a counter press that he implements. He teaches all of his kids to retain possession high up the pitch as soon as it's lost. Um, I will. At first glance, you know, I'd be like Guti probably, is, it, it would be seem like a weird decision, but it's warming up to me. Um, Nick Stefani says, Zizou, what a legend. I've been working like crazy, so I haven't been able to ask as many questions as of late, but have been listening faithfully, and you guys have been killing it. Thanks, Thanks Nick. Uh, three in a row tastes so good, especially knowing that Barca are cringing, knowing no one cares about their double anymore. Questions about the coaching vacancy. One, who are your favorites for the position? If you had to rate Pac, Klopp, Lowe, and Conte, what would it be like from one to four and why? I'd go one Klopp. I think he has a perfect balance of tactics and man management skills. He's a lovable character. He had no fault in losing the final. I thought he he got his tactics perfectly right. To start, he couldn't do nothing about the Salah injury. He could do nothing about the Karius blunders. Um, unfortunately for him, it just didn't happen. But what he did to City for two games this season was really just uncharted against Pep this season. No one else could do what he did. Um, he's a big game manager. You can't. I, I, can't I, I can't stand, by the way, the argument to any coach um, that they haven't won trophies. It's like, well, what are we really comparing? Which, which coach... Doesn't win, does win trophies and doesn't choke in the Champions League, because if you're looking at the past five years, it's been basically everyone in the world except for Zidane, if we're being if we're being completely honest. Um, so, so I have no question that someone like Pac or Klopp would do well um, with Real Madrid, and I had no doubt that we'd be a contender every season. So I'd go Klopp. I'd like Pac a lot. Um, I think Klopp. Yeah, man, it's really a tongue twister saying Pac Klopp over and again. But uh, with Klopp, he's got a really exciting project there. I don't think he leaves. Pac, I think, has an exciting project, but he's not going to leave because it's going to be really tough negotiating with Louis at Tottenham um, to get him out of that contract. There's no release clause. So that just may- means you have to negotiate and Pac has to push forward behind the scenes. And obviously... In, in front of the cameras, he's not going to say he's he wants to go to Real Madrid but um, I don't think it, it's necessarily off the table um, but the problem is you're going to our, our, our experience dealing with Tottenham is that both Modric and Bale came in last minute um, when the season was about to start and that's going to be very difficult to do with the manager because you just can't risk not having a manager that deep into the season um, I mean you could argue that He's not going to see the team anyway until after the World Cup, but you need to have that uh, situation locked up. This is why I think it might, might eventually turn into Guti. Um, Lowe and Conte I'm not high on. I'd probably go Conte then Lowe. Um They just don't really wow me, I guess, in any way. Conte, I think, I don't know how versatile he is as a manager. And with Real Madrid, you probably need to be a little bit versatile, as Zidane displayed. And... Um, and also, I'm not sure how we would mesh with the players. Um, he has a bit of a history of just, uh, I guess, not, I guess, isolating certain players. Diego Costa being the most famous example, although obviously Diego Costa is not innocent. So I don't know how much you want to blame that on Conte. But also, Conte just, I don't know. Ask any Chelsea fan who was just begging to get rid of him. Um, but I think out of the four, he'd be also the easiest to, to snatch. I don't know. Um, also because it doesn't seem like Sari is going to Chelsea either now, or if he is, uh, you know, it's it's tough also negotiating with Napoli, by the way, because Sari is still under contract there. Even though they have Ancelotti, um, they still have Sari under contract, so they're trying to milk every penny they can to release Sari from his contract. It's a weird situation, but... Um, and Lo is obviously already ruled out coaching Real Madrid, thankfully. Um, Nick's second, second question, who, if not mentioned before, would be your first choice selection for Madrid and why? Um, well, I guess this kind of is pretty much the same answer as number one. I'd go, I'd, I'd love Klopp, but that's not realistic. I'd love Klopp as my second choice. After that, I'm looking at Guti at that point because it's slim pickings. Like, let's be real. Sarri has his baggage. Wenger, Lowe, and Conte. Like, none of these guys really are that exciting to me. Number three, who are some sleeper picks? Um, thank you for all that you do and as always Hala Marie. Hala Marie. I don't know if there are sleeper picks because we're not really looking at them as realistic targets however may I remind you that Xabi Alonso has a brilliant brain um, he is a master organizer he's, he played as an anchor and a central midfielder the position that you really just need to read the game on an elite level and he did it at the most elite level possible he's worked under Pep He's learned a lot from him. Uh, he has his coaching badges and now reported... I, I wasn't sure if it was official or not, but Phil obviously confirmed it wasn't official yet. But but there's been rumblings that he's going to take one of the younger teams uh, in the youth system of Real Madrid. He's not going to just come in right away and just be the coach, obviously, but someone to just at least keep on your radar. Another person to keep on your radar is Fernando Redondo, also elite defensive midfielder anchor, arguably with the best that ever did it, also has his coaching badges now. So... Um couple couple sleepers there for you, Nick. Uh, <clears> um <throat> Oh, Jardim also who who if you asked me like last season, before this season started, he would have been like in the top five for me of, of coaches. He did an amazing job with Monaco. Obviously this season he fell off of it because just his talent also dropped off, but um I don't know if he's realistically being considered, but I think he's the he's not the worst choice. Adrian Rio says, I am upset at Gareth Bale. I completely understand his frustration for not being played much under Zidane, but, not, but to not thank him publicly despite other players, ex-players, colleagues, fans, Rafael Nadal, doing so is despicable. For crying out loud, even Franchu thanked thanks Zidane for letting him play like 10 minutes and Bale couldn't do the same. Again, I understand why he's upset as he should have started the final, but do you guys not find it baffling that he wouldn't do this considering how many times Zidane has taken heat from the press for sticking up for him and the BBC throughout the 2.5 years. Let's not forget Zidane said the BBC were undisputed starters when everyone criticized him for giving Isco less minutes. We could have sold him last summer but Zidane had confidence in him as well. I know you guys love Bale but this is really sad by the way Uh, Oh, by the way, Gabe, I attached the tweet in which Bale thanked Ancelotti after he was sacked. So yes, he has done this before. Um, Obviously, Gabe's not here. I'll I'll forward him this message. Yeah, uh, Bale did thank Carlo. So, I agree with this. And uh, as you all know by now, I'm a massive Gareth Bale fan. I love what he does. Uh, I think this is really petty and sad of him. And I'm disappointed. And... um, some people are saying well look Bale doesn't use social media no it's not an excuse like he uses it enough um during the whole Zidane thing he was tweeting about some other stuff and look and if you don't use it by the way none of these guys are all tweeting from their own social media accounts themselves all the time like they all have social media managers so um it's not hard for Bale to say hey just you know message his team like hey put a nice message about Zidane and a picture of us like that's not hard um it was petty i don't know how else to put it um, i think we all know the feeling growing up as as kids or even older just that petty it's impo- sometimes it's impossible not to be petty and and just bitter or salty about a certain thing that happens in sports or something you lose or you're not being played enough minutes i think we all understand that situation but we also know that afterwards it's all good and it's all love and um, to not to not thank Zidane, who is arguably the most, what top five important figures in the club's history, is uh is pretty disappointing. I'm gonna leave it there. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast um, part two blabbering on, but part one with Phil. I I like I just like talking about talking to journalists about just their everyday routines and and their day to days and what it's like and advice they give I always find that stuff interesting I hope you guys do too um, and let me know if you liked it and we'll we'll do more of it with other journalists but um, obviously like with Phil he can only say so much that he's allowed to say um, so you know it is what it is but it's it's always it's always fun though just to like learn that stuff and Phil is one of the best at what he does and um, there's a reason why he is where he is so it's just it's fun to talk to somebody like that um, who's so close to the club, and uh, if we get him on next time, maybe we'll talk. We'll ask him to tell you know more stories about the day to day, like his interactions with players, and, and maybe stories we don't know about. So if you like that stuff, just drop a line, uh, either comment on Patreon or uh, or otherwise. Oh yeah, obviously patreoncom Madrid This is where all our questions came from today. <coughs> uh, excuse me, and uh, if you want to get guaranteed responses to your questions, but also get different rewards like um, pledging a certain amount and I will write a thousand words on the top of your choice uh, or actually join the podcast for an episode or getting an ad in the podcast or whatever. You get different rewards. Uh, Patreon.com slash madrid. Go pledge and get access also to extra bonus shows, midweek shows and so forth. One of the rewards obviously is that you get a shout out on the podcast if you pledge $10 or more. So shout out to all you amazing patrons. Shout out to these Specific patrons who pledge ten dollars or more: Nikta Stefane, Frederick Sundros, Leon Stavronakis, Bjorn Salvador, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Sergio Monleon, Red Bat, Yahya Ibrahim, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Sheikh Hatiri, Ian Marley, Dan Berthie, Jahan Watson, Selvin Adolfo Chamale Perez, Anas Alazawi, Raul Gutierrez, Anthony Vasquez. Armin Kashi, Urim James, Rakab Khotburi. Sorry, I had, to, I had to look it up. Anton Hackberg, Jimmy Obey, Solomon Ortiz, Jeanette, Jeremiah Rogers, and Daniel Smith. The real entities, you guys are all phenomenal. We love you all from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you so much. Um, you guys have made this experience it's just incredible for us. Um, it's just kind of a family. family. It's, it's a ton of fun. Okay, this is Kian Sabani signing off. Until Wednesday's midweek show or tomorrow if you're joining me on Tuesday, that's because...